0: world where we all go to school the idea and the reality of homeschooling is quite radical there have been books written on the subject a number of them are testimonials by parents who feel that as teachers at home they've been successful beyond their wildest dreams one of the most recent is a book entitled homeschooling for excellence how to take charge of your child's education and why you absolutely must The authors are David and Mickey Colfax, who've been educating their children at home for over 15 years, with three of their four sons entering Harvard University. Now, we at Takeout saw this book and started to hear about homeschooling from a number of people and thought it would be interesting to talk about this phenomena. We're going to try to reach the Colfaxes on the phone, and we have a number of guests with us in the studio to talk about this topic. They are, first of all, two Minnesota parents who are homeschooling right now. They are Mary Emmer, who's the mother of 10 children. She's from Minnetonka. Her youngest child was educated primarily at home, then attended public high school, and graduated as the high school valedictorian. Bob Newhouse is a father who's a teacher at home as well. He has five children who range in age from 3 to 11 years old, and he is involved in their homeschooling. Also with us is Judy Schaubach. Secretary-Treasurer of the Minnesota Education Association, and Sandy Peterson, the President of the Minnesota Federation of Teachers. Welcome to you all. Let's begin by asking the two parents what motivated them to make the decision to begin homeschooling and just not to, as most parents do, send their children off to school, whether it be a public or a private school. Mary, let's start with you. I think our main motivation was having had ten children and six children in the system and seeing them lose their love of learning. Uh, we were deeply concerned about that and, and wanted to encourage them to learn and not lose that love of learning. And that was basic. That was what we mainly thought we'd try. And when you made that decision, at what age were your children? Uh, the children that were going in uh, was a first grader, a fourth grader, a fifth grader, sixth grader, and a, one going into eighth grade. So we had a wide smattering so what did you do when you decided to begin what would be a very time-consuming, energy-consuming venture? We had talked about it a lot, and we talked about it with our older children, getting you know, listening to their experience. We uh, had another family that did this with us. She had been a teacher, and so I got a little bit of courage from that. We decided to, to try it, and we also talked to the school. We were going to do a pilot program in a school, and it was a little threatening to them. So we thought, well, what have we got to lose? Let's just try it, because we would had a lot of bad learning experiences with the children, losing that love of, learn, of learning. And how did you decide what materials to begin to teach with and how to structure the teaching day? That was a bit trial of trial and error. Mm-hmm. The, the teacher, that the gal that gal, was my friend, uh, had some experience in that, but we did, did a lot of uh, learning, and we also went towards self-teaching materials, which was just... A, so you mean a, a child thing. would sit down with a workbook and with right. a textbook and not need your supervision? Right, guidance yes. and coming to us, but mm-hmm. not teaching at them and... Mm-hmm. Bob Newhouse, when did you decide that you're a teacher and you made a decision to stay home and teach your own children? Well, I, the reason I became a
1: teacher was because I always had in the back of my mind, if I did or ever did have children, I'd like to teach them on my own. Uh, being a teacher, I've seen the uh, frustration it is, no matter how good a teacher might be, it's impossible to meet all the needs of each and every one of those individual unique children in that classroom. And even though I could meet the needs of the average child in that room there were some who were very very inquisitive others who had a hard time understanding the material and it would a sense of frustration in me um i'm a montessori teacher who has taught in italy and in peru started schools there came back and got my teacher certification in elementary education and um thought when we started to have children we decided to educate them at home mainly because i saw that each of these children even though they are our own children they were so uniquely different and by home educating we can meet their individual needs they can go as fast as they need to through the material they can go as slow as they need to through the material were you motivated also by religious reasons um that's my primary reason Mm -hmm. for doing it i sensed the prompting that god really desired me to do that and i decided to obey that prompting i'm not exactly sure why But um, I'm seeing now the fruits of that, and uh, our family is extremely close. We have a lot of fun. The brothers and sisters get along very, very well together. Uh, They are learning quite well. Their
0: self-concept is very high, too. Are most of the other situations of homeschooling in Minnesota that you know of, Bob and Mary, are they primarily motivated by religious reasons? Well, I'm not
1: sure that. We well, that. it's hard to say primarily. There, in Minnesota, there's just quite not enough uh, research on that particular question. From my own experience, I have to say the majority are motivated through uh, religious reasons.
0: And how does a day in your home school go? What's it like? It's, um, Do you have to start by a certain time? Do you have to be in a certain part of the house by a certain time? We try to. Mm-hmm. We, we, we definitely try to. We
1: keep a schedule. And uh, we train the families that are in our organization to keep the schedule also. We find that when you can plan your day out, you can get much more productivity out of the day.
0: So when you're home teaching children, you are being parents in all the aspects that entails. You are also being curriculum planners, mm-hmm. getting materials, supervising your children as they learn, giving them tests and evaluating them, mm-hmm. and dealing with state regulations, which we'll get to in just a few minutes. We... um. We have an organization
1: that's called Teaching Effective Academics and Character at Home. That's an acronym for TEACH. And uh, we have 11 certified teachers on staff that actually assist parents who feel a desire to do this, undertake this task, because it is a very difficult and complicated one. Very time-consuming. It's yeah, going to change did, your lifestyle.
0: That's what I want to ask Most you Most definitely.
1: But what we would like, what we do is we instruct and train and work with the, uh, the parents Primarily, the children a little bit, but it's mostly the parents to assist them to over some of the common hurdles that home educators face, and therefore they're able to meet their goals quicker and better than, oftentimes than uh, just through the trial and error method.
0: Mary Emmer, how did your life at home, cha- your life change in general once you made it this decision? It really changed for the better. It, it sounds spooky like you're going to be this all you know encompassing <laughs> thing, but it, actually it freed us. It it helped family life. They weren't just structured out, you know, to come back in it for exhaustion and so forth. It was a freedom that was wonderful. In fact, if I was to write a book, I'd probably say joy in the morning because we didn't, everybody didn't bolt out to do this, whatever it was. There was some freedom we had structured, mm-hmm. as he said, but there was. Didn't you get uh, burned out? Didn't you just feel that you had? No, the burnout stopped. It stopped. It really mm-hmm. did stop because the children became self-discipline rather than outer discipline, and they really did. I'd have a child reading whatever it was on Christmas Day, and somebody might come and say. What's this? What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, they chose more and more as we allowed them freedom. They chose more and more and went with it. Let's and add uh, David Colfax to our discussion. Who's on the telephone with us now? He is the author, along with his wife Mickey Colfax, of a book called Homeschooling for Excellence: How to Take Charge of Your Child's Education and Why You Absolutely Must. David Colfax, how was what was your experience like with your four sons teaching them at home? Well, I think that uh, for the most part, I
2: can only uh, say. It was pretty much what the uh, other two people have said out there in Minnesota. Uh, we did not have a structured A situation. We didn't feel that it was necessary, so we perhaps differed there. But questions of burnout, questions of uh, creativity, questions of uh, motivation and so forth were all resolved by the children over time, and uh, we found it a very uh, creative, dynamic
0: well, you had a very special situation of being homesteading and living in a fairly isolated region, so that it was almost really inconvenient to figure out how to get your kids to school on a daily basis, right?
2: Well, that and also the fact that uh, we were here with a uh, number of opportunities to learn as we went along. On the other hand, we didn't have the support of other parent groups, we didn't have uh, other homeschoolers that we could rely upon, and so forth. So I think it kind of, there's a trade-off there. We had the isolation, which was a benefit that was also. Of mm-hmm.
0: Do you think your children suffered from the isolation?
2: Well, the isolation there was uh, more on a uh, hour-to-hour basis rather than on a day-to-day basis. They were—they participated in easily as wide a range of social activities as uh, any kid growing up in America today. They uh, played football, soccer, formed a film society, went to fairs, showed animals in 4-H, and were good at all these
0: things. Mm-hmm. So you don't feel they missed out during the day by being with other children? Well, they didn't
2: hang out at the mall. They didn't go down to the uh, travel pit and drink beer. uh, Uh Uh, And they didn't uh, spend a lot of time just wondering, what are we going to do next? They were very self-directed and uh, very efficient and had a lot of time to do the things that uh, they wanted to do. I think that was our main motivation for homeschooling, was it gave the kids a chance to pursue their own interest at a rate they wanted to pursue it, and uh, develop interest that they could never have done in school.
0: Now, you have a a situation somewhat similar to Bob Newhouse, who's in the studio with us, because you and your wife both had been teachers and had uh, done extensive research in education, so you really weren't maybe uh, as much of a uh, free spirit out at a loss as Mary Emmer was. I mean, you weren't just starting out cold in a subject that you knew very little about.
2: Well, we were starting out cold in the sense that, uh, you know, I taught graduate school, and I I taught statistics and sociology, and my wife taught high school. So when it came to these uh, four, five, six, eight-year-old kids, uh, we didn't have much more experience. I think our teaching experience and our experience as researchers in education in our previous life, as it were, uh, gave us the confidence to say uh, the schools are not going to intimidate us. Uh, we, We can do a better job, or at least we can try to do a better job. And in that sense, being a teacher or having some knowledge of the academic world, the educational world, gave us a kind of uh, freedom, authority, and confidence that a lot of parents don't have today.
0: Mm-hmm. So let me ask all three of the parents here in our discussion, would you recommend strongly to parents to be, to try something like homeschooling?
2: Well, my response to that would be is that if there are good public schools, there are good private schools, and if your child's doing well in this situation, if it's not broken, don't fix it. On the other hand, a lot of parents put up with a lot of nonsense and uh, make apologies and rationalizations or. Uh, rampant and so forth, and in that situation, we say, at least try homeschool. Don't become committed to homeschooling, but uh, maybe uh, (coughs) off or a a, a few weeks off. Uh, Get involved in your kid's education is basically our message, and we feel that homeschooling is about the most efficient way of becoming involved in your child's education.
0: David, why don't you stay on the line with us? Let me just uh, ask that question of Bob Newhouse and Mary Emmer. Would you recommend homeschooling? I
1: don't encourage homeschooling to anybody. In fact, when we give informational meetings, we, I really put the test to them. I try to make it sound as unattractive as possible because I know the commitment level that it takes. But if parents are committed to do that and to oversee the education of their children, then by all means, let's give it a try. And give it an honest try. I mean, even if it gets difficult, which it more than likely will, keep hanging in there because there are lessons to be learned for everybody, including the parents.
0: Let's bring uh, our two other participants here into the conversation. Judy Schaubach, who's the Secretary-Treasurer of the Minnesota Education Association, and Sandy Peterson, the President of the Minnesota Federation of Teachers. What is your response to right off to hearing a conversation like this? You represent people who are teaching in the school system. Sandy? Well, I feel very positive when, whenever parents are involved in their schools, and I certainly would agree with our previous speaker that we would encourage parents to get more involved with their schools, to be active participants with teachers in schools. And we've heard from some successful parents who, who do have some training in, and background in teaching. My concern would be that, that those same standards and, and high standards and regulated standards be held in terms of the licensing um, procedures for teachers who are teaching in the home schools as as well as the uh, public schools. There is a perception sometimes that that just anybody can step in and and do teaching and, and be a teacher, and there's no specific body of knowledge uh, that anybody needs to, to be a teacher, and, and I would disagree. I think there is a knowledge of child development, uh, a, a whole body of study pedagogy that that uh, is inherent in, in being an, a good teacher. Uh, there's certainly a lot of research in what makes an effective teacher. How do you deal with the different learning styles of students? How do you deal with uh, the children who might have difficulty in learning? Um, there, there's a great deal that people need to know and certainly uh, should be required before anyone uh, is qualified to begin teaching a student. This, this is with them for the rest of their lives. Now, according to state regulations, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, since a law that was passed in 1987 now requires a certain amount of monitoring, certain standardized tests uh, to test achievement and uh, educate, educational process for students who are educated at home, you have to give a list of materials that you're using, et cetera. But does this legislature legislation also cover uh, by making certain uh, a list of certain requirements of the person doing the teaching, as Sandy suggested? I mean, can you teach a child at home, comply with all state regulations, but have no go under no scrutiny yourself? That's my yeah. question. Okay. You know, um, particularly if you're teaching your own child, if you teach other children, then the requirements are a bit more stringent. But it doesn't require teacher licensure, even if you're teaching other people's children. And if you're teaching your own children at home, um, it does. Basically, there are no requirements. I believe in the last legislative session there was even an amendment that was proposed that we at least require a high school graduate, a uh, high school diploma, in order to educate your children at home and that failed. So there is, is virtually no requirements and that I think that is one of our so big a, concerns. Right, there's a list of standards if you teach in the public or in a private school but if you teach at home they don't exist. That's right and even the assessment that's given, uh, the overall, um, when you give the, the test, the overall ranking has to be at the 30th percentile before it's considered failure. And I guess that's a bit of a concern, too, because we actually will have to allow someone to really fail and really get down to that level before anything happens. Um, Bob Newhouse, you're raising your hand in opposition, I imagine. Well, there's just a concern that I have here in that
1: uh, with all the research that is being uh, done, there has been uh, no research that has qualified that teacher accreditation uh, actually... um, Guarantees learner outcome. In fact, um, Dr. Sam Peavy, he was a professor at uh, College of Education, University of Louisville, and he's had extensive, uh, done extensive research in this. And actually, he's a lifetime member of the NEA. He made some interesting uh, quotations here. He said, "The major part of the teaching profession is saying there's only one mark of an effective school, and that is if the children are learning effectively. If the youngsters youngsters are not learning, the teacher's not teaching, in spite of all of his credentials." I think the greatest value of accreditation is to be able to say you're accredited. And simply, we're beginning to wonder how profound that value really is sometimes. He goes on and says, We'll never have a profession of teaching until we come to say that a teacher is not teaching unless the boys and girls are learning. Um, basically, he's, uh, he's concerned about teacher accreditation throughout this entire paper. And uh, as a teacher himself, he's saying it, the value of a teacher's certification proves that you're certified if you have a certificate and that you've been through the program for certification but it does not guarantee that the student will
0: clearly clearly there's no way of guaranteeing anyone learning anything specifically but we're talking about what is more there's no relationship there is absolutely no relationship he says a relationship
1: between
2: what and what learner outcome and teacher certification You, you were about to say
0: something, David Colfax?
2: Uh, the thing is here is I'd like to point out that uh, you can teach in any college, uni- virtually any college and university in America without ever having taken a single education course. We rely on those uh, institutions to uh, train our engineers, our scientists, our sociologists, our teachers. So you can be a teacher of teachers without ever having taken a teaching uh, course or without ever having uh, learned anything about uh, teaching. It's ironic that we talk about certification. I find the whole notion of certification, and I'm a member of the AFT, uh, I find the whole notion of, of certification to be just another union card. And when we inflict that on parents, who, after all, are going to be more concerned about their children than most teachers can afford to be concerned, I think it's just a case here of keeping the ranks uh, closed to pay other parents who might be very, very effective at the job. So I'm I'm really disturbed when teachers start talking about accreditation, accreditation. Out here in California, you can teach in any private school without any credentials whatsoever but then people in other states will say, yeah, but you shouldn't do it with, uh, unless you've got certification of some sort or
0: another. Sandy Peterson, did you want to respond? Well, I think there is, a, there is a, a base knowledge that is guaranteed, a base academic knowledge by the teacher that is guaranteed by the certification and also, as I said before, a, a knowledge of learning styles and skills and uh, that someone who doesn't even have a high school education perhaps uh, would have. We certainly are looking at making the accreditation of teachers uh, a more complex process to, to assure even greater proficiency on the part of teachers coming into the, to our profession. And that absolutely uh, doesn't guarantee that a teacher is going to engage every student in that classroom in active learning. But uh, you're certainly seeing much more awareness in the public classrooms uh, currently and teachers looking at different kinds of teaching uh, environments so that they can engage every learner uh, in actively in in the classroom um, uh, learning. I want to mention and raise another question apart from accreditation, and that is what a child may lose by, and this goes back to the socialization idea, but it's, it's an extension of it, really, and that is that a child loses exposure, possibly, to a whole world of people, to uh, children from, of other ethnic groups, of other races, of other economic classes, by being educated at home, even if they're involved in extracurricular activities afterwards, which might be more class-bound and uh, race-bound, given the, air, the neighborhood in which they live. Do you think that's true, David
2: Colfax? Not true at all. The fact is that private schools in America today have a wider range. Just, I'm not talking homeschooling. I'm talking private schools. have a wider range of social class and, uh, and racial uh, backgrounds mix than public schools for the simple reason that public schools are neighborhood-bound for the most part or area-bound. You have more homogeneity in the public schools today than ever before, and if you can afford to move into a wealthy neighborhood, you'll associate with wealthy children if you can't do it, you will associate with. Mm-hmm. That argument just is not true.
0: What about them looking at it from the other direction, which is that when you keep your children at home and teach them at home, you deprive the public school system and our sort of our you deprive our community effort to educate collectively together by by keeping your children out, and so they don't contribute and uh, increase the quality of the general experience.
2: Right. Well, that's an easy one. It's like saying if there's a poor hospital in your town, you should go to the poor hospital to help the doctors learn to be better uh, doctors and to improve the general healing quality of the area. Uh, nobody would go to a bad doctor. Nobody would go to a bad lawyer deliberately. Why should parents talk about going to poor teachers, putting their kids in poor schools to help out that institution?
0: Judy Schellbach? Well, along with the diversity, uh, I think it's important in, in what you get from a public school setting is that you have You have differences of opinion and different backgrounds, and that that promotes some intellectual stimuli which helps people learn because we know that in the the, uh, generations to come that we don't need to just be teaching our children facts, but we need to be teaching them how to learn and how to interact with other people that are not the same. We're going to have a global and diverse economy, and we can't just be learning to relate to a, a small group of people. I think that that's that's another advantage that the public schools offer. Uh, I agree with her. Um, (laughs) You're so surprised. I'm surprised that I do.
1: But you see, when you are home educating, I'm just defending the position here, you actually have the opportunity to become more involved in the community. In fact, in our program it's a requirement that the children are involved in some form of community outreach, whether that is uh, going to a nursing home and helping and communicating with those folks or going out and helping with the food program in the area or doing apprenticeship opportunities at abbott northwestern hospital the children apprentice as uh, with the ms center and learn occupational therapy and both parties benefit there's a freedom and a flexibility that does address that question accurately and i think uh, just one more statement about the accreditation Uh, i'm a certified teacher and i've gone through those hoops and uh, home education is a tutoring process rather than a classroom management process, and therefore even a certified teacher does not have the training to tutor a child. It's a one-on-one tutoring situation, and a parent who not, does not even have a high school education can effectively teach their child, even if they have to learn along with the child and teach the child how to learn. It's effective. They can see if the child's learning. They can uh, see how fast or how slow the child needs to go, and it does work.
0: Okay, any last
2: comments from anyone? Well, I would like to say out here that uh, my impression of homeschooling children that I've been in touch with over the last uh, half dozen years is I'll put up virtually any homeschooled child against the best of uh, uh, public school children. And uh, it's the public schools that have got the explaining to do, not the homeschoolers. The homeschoolers are doing a job in reaction, I think, in a lot of ways to uh, what's going on in public education. But uh, homeschooling is a successful way of dealing with education, and I'd like to see it be able to be facilitated.
0: Okay, that's David Colfax's last word. Sandy Peterson of the MFT. Well, I would I would go back to support the idea. I was very, of uh, the multicultural, the multi-racial uh, society, and, and I was very concerned at a meeting recently where there was discussion about Uh, segregated schools, uh, being proposed by people who wanted segregated schools, feeling that might be a more successful school environment also. And I think that any time we begin to polarize uh, students in in one kind of school and we don't mix them together in diverse kinds of cooperative learning situations, which I think we're we're doing in the public schools, uh, we run the risk. of of becoming uh, separate entities in our country. And as we look in the demography in the years to come, we need to become, I I think, far uh, better about uh, getting to know each other. And that would be one of the components. I also would be concerned about potential abuses, Uh, parents even keeping children home to babysit. Uh, You know, those things can happen. We're not talking about some of the good situations that we're hearing here today, but there, there are potential abuses out there. Uh, that we need to be very aware of. Bob Newhouse, know, your last chance here. I think that our law in
1: Minnesota is working. And the preamble to the law says basically that it's the parents who have the right and the responsibility to determine the means by which their children shall be educated. Uh, I do. I appreciate that home education is seen as an alternative, and I would not want to pit or compete against the, home, or the private or the public schools. I think they are doing as good a job as they can, and... Uh, and I uh, sympathize with them with the difficulties that they have. I do appreciate the alternative of being to educate my own children at home, uh, to teach them values that I think are important. Um, we are beginning to relate more with public schools already because of the law. I think we have a model law for the nation. Children are participating in French classes or shop classes at their, you know, if they choose to do that, and, and we're beginning to work as human beings together for the focus is our children. Are the children receiving a good education?
0: Judy Schaubach? I guess the only comment I would have uh, maybe goes along with what Sandy said, and that is that one of my concerns about the law, the way it stands now, is that it doesn't really protect against the situations that may not be positive, uh, where people are keeping their children at home, they aren't qualified, they aren't providing that child with the opportunity that they should have in order to compete successfully in our society. And what obligation does the state have to making sure that they get the education that they need? It seems to me that there is a responsibility and an obligation to offer that child the kind of education they need. But they are being accountable to the superintendent. Okay. Okay. Mary Emmer, you've been very quiet throughout most of this discussion, so we'll give you the absolute last word. I guess I really believe in the importance of offering alternatives and not just that one extreme or the other is it, but that we should be looking into the various alternatives. Uh, Albert Shanker, who's the president of the American Federation of Teachers, talked about this looking into, not just judging it, but looking into the the varieties of ways that we do learn. And and I guess there's a report that says we touch about 20% well with the system we've got that 75 or 80 are just not handling that well. Maybe some of these kids can learn some other ways, not just homeschooling, but some some other ways, and we should be open to that. Okay. Thank you all very much for joining me in this discussion today. Mary Emmer and Bob Newhouse, who are parents who do teach their children and have taught their children at home, as well as David Colfax, who joined us by telephone. He and his wife, Mickey, co-authored the book, Homeschooling for Excellence. Also joining us in the discussion today were Judy Schaubach, the Secretary-Treasurer of the Minnesota Education Association, and Sandy Peterson, the President of the Minnesota Federation of Teachers. Coming Coming up in just a few seconds, our resident metaphysician, Dr. Culture.